So, you know, oh, man, I'm not even going to do any ads today, guys. I don't know. Sometimes I do ads, sometimes I don't. I don't, I'm not, I'm not getting paid by the ads, so, but I like to throw them out there sometimes. But just quickly, go to the Keto Dojo. I think you'll enjoy it. We're at 405 members right now. Go to lulu.com, L-U-L-U.com. Check out my book. It's all fun and games and tell. Get it in e-format or get a hard copy of it. Whichever you want, dog eared all the pages, put it on your bookshelf, put it on your mantle. It'll make a great uh, conversation piece. You can just peruse through it at your leisure. Also, uh, check out email Slayton Johnson up there in Gatlinburg. God, fuck, every, <laughs> every time. And it's become such a joke that it's not even a joke anymore because I'm really messing up the words, but originally it was kind of a joke. And I would mess it up on purpose, and now I'm messing it up not on purpose. But Gatlinburg, Tennessee, Slayton Johnson up there, he's a river raft guide. He's also a, uh, a zipline guide. Really good dude. He is running kind of an underground uh, rafting operation uh, by donation only. He would like to get 100 bucks per boat if you can uh, afford that. He'll work a deal with you if you can't. But 100 bucks per boat, that's pretty good for an experience. But email uh, Slayton at tnriverraft at gmail.com and, you know, put in the subject that you want to do a river raft experience and then type what you're looking for, how many people you got, what the dates and times are that you're going to be in town. And Slayton will get back with you and he'll set it up. And you guys are going to have a fantastic experience. You're going to have uh, the best experience of your life. It's one of the top five experiences I've had outdoors, and I've had a lot of experiences outdoors. So hook up with Slayton. Get your experience on. All right. I went to this birthday party yesterday at my parents' house. It was a birthday party for my, my niece, uh, Kayla. And I'm going to be honest. I don't even know how old she is. I think she's 12 years old. I don't keep up with all this stuff. You know, Facebook tells me when it's somebody's birthday. You know, I know a few people's birthday by heart. I mean, of course, my parents, my my brothers, uh, my kids, whatever. But I can't keep up with all these things. Facebook lets me know. My grandmother, on the other hand, my grandmother Dale, she was fantastic at keeping up with all this stuff. I mean, she could tell. She would. You would get a card. Whether it was Easter, whether it was uh, Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, your birthday, your anniversary, she was on top of it. She knew, and sometimes she missed it, you know, by a day or two, but not the actual date, but just getting a card mailed in the mailbox or whatever. But she, she was on point, man. She made it her mission to make sure that she kept up with every child, every grandchild, every great, great grandchild, great, great, every great grandchild. I think it was, I don't think she had any great greats. Did she? I'm trying to think. I don't think so, but she would keep up with everything, man. And she would always handwrite a card, a note, um, a letter. Um, she would usually send you a check with a little bit of cash or, uh, at one point, she was doing a lot of savings bonds. And, you know, it was a big thing for, for people that come out of the, the Great Depression in those eras. Um, CDs, savings savings bonds, government-backed, you know, they were real big on that. So you would always get a card. You would always get a handwritten note and a signature. And you would usually get some sort of monetary something, whether it was cash, whether it was a check, whether it was a savings bond. So she was real good at it. but So we had a birthday party. Um, you know, it's good to hang out with family, man. This birthday party, there was eight girls. I don't know how old the youngest girl was, Trinity, um, one of Heather, my cousin Heather's kids. But we had eight girls from probably age two-ish, maybe she was two. I don't know, a little younger than two, maybe. She was walking, I know that, and running. Uh, had a very heavy run, as a matter of fact. But um, So all the way up from there, all the way to 12, if that's how old Kayla is. She could be 13. I don't think she's a teenager. Though. I think she's 12. So should I know that? I don't know. Maybe I should. I got the camera going again, guys. Um. It's been going for a little while because I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna let you know something right now. 
I recorded for about maybe 20 minutes before I realized I did not actually hit record on my program. So I've already said all this before, but you didn't hear it. You can hear it now, but just imagine me doing all this previously without hitting the record button. And I think you'll get a laugh at it. I think you'll, I think you'll find that funny. So birthday party. Um, you know, it's just a great time. It reminds me of times uh, when I used to go to my grandparents' house, and more specifically, my grand, my grand, uh, on the Dale side. Uh, we have a Shelton side, and we have a Dale side. So the Shelton side wasn't a lot of uh, family gatherings over there. I mean, we'd go over there and hang out. They lived in the same neighborhood as us in, in uh, Pepper Hill. They actually lived in the same neighborhood as us when we lived in uh, Glendale, uh, uh, Glen, Glenhaven the fuck was the name of the the damn neighborhood we lived in? Glenhaven, right? Glenhaven, I think so. It was further down in North Charleston than uh, Pepper Hill was. I think it's Glenhaven. It's not Glendale. That's fucking, that's something else. I think it was Glenhaven. Anyway, my grandparents lived, uh, I think they lived on the same street as us, a couple houses down, and I think, my uncle uh, Richard and my aunt Sherry, I think they lived in the same neighborhood as well, if I recall. I only lived there until I was about seven years old, so I don't recall a whole lot of stuff about about Glenhaven, but I think we all lived in, in the same neighborhood. But we moved to Pepper Hill, and my grandparents moved to Pepper Hill, or maybe they moved first, I don't know, but we all ended up uh, a couple streets away from each other. And... You know, we'd go over there quite often because we lived right around the corner, but a lot of times it would just be me by myself or I might go over there with my mom. I don't remember my dad going over there very often at all, and I don't really remember going over there with my brothers. Uh, I feel like it was just me most times by myself. I would go over there and hang out with uh, with both my grandparents, or I would uh, hang out with my Uncle Craig, who was still living there at the time. Uh, my other two uncles had already moved out. Um, Will and David, but um, you know, generally, gener- generationally, it was just a different time. I mean, I would go over, and I'm going to get back to the party here, but I remember I'd go over to my grandparents' house, and you know, your grandmother was the one that kind of took care of you and and entertained you and and talked to you. Your grandfather didn't do a whole lot. I mean, I think it was just that generation, you know, the one, the, the woman was the one that took care of the children. That was their job. Men, they were the workers. They went out, they brought home the bread. They, they went to work. They worked in the coal mines and they worked in the factories and they were in the air force and they were flying planes and they were fighting wars doing all this stuff. The women, they stayed at home. They birthed children. They took care of the children. They, took care of the household, they washed the clothes, they made sure dinner was on the table. That's just the way times were. Of course, we now know that times, they are changing, and uh, both parents now do kind of everything. You know, it's a shared experience, but it was just different times back then. So I remember going over to my grandparents' house, and you didn't bother your grandfather. Your grandfather was had 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 a hard hard day. They had come home. They wanted to sit down in their recliner. They wanted to have a, a hot meal put in front of them. They wanted to watch some TV. They wanted to relax and take a break. And then they wanted to you know then they got up the next morning and they they put in another twelve or fourteen hours at a at a job. And they would do those jobs for thirty and forty years and retire from those jobs. You know you don't do that anymore. You don't have careers anymore. People. Change, uh, change hands on jobs, you know, four or five, six times in a lifetime now. Where before you, you, you got a job and you stuck to it. So, um, brings me back to the party. You know, I'm, I'm sitting here at this party and I, I just, every time we have a gathering at my parents' house, I just kind of watch in awe that, you know, the interaction that both my mom and my dad give all the kids, whether it was my kids and, and Bruce's kids when, when you know we were the first ones to have kids and, and started bringing them over to the house and having gatherings, uh, whether it was, was our kids or whether it's now the grandkids, they just are way more interactive, especially my father, 
than his father or my mom's father was um, with these children. They just, he gets really involved, he tells stories, he plays games, he um, takes care of them and makes sure they got uh, snacks and food to eat and something to drink and um, the toys that they want to play with, uh, make sure the, you know, the yard is ready for them when they come over. I mean, just everything. I mean, and my mom does too. Just a totally different generation and totally different people than, than the people that I grew up with. I mean, um, you know, my mom and I talked a little bit about, uh, about Bill Cosby yesterday after the party. We were talking about, she was talking about uh, some of the things on his um, first album, or not his first album, but his uh, himself album about... Um, parenthood and those type things but um you know he even mentioned it that who are these people these people are not the same people that raised me uh they're totally different people you know when they get around their grandchildren so it's just funny you know to watch them interact with the kids and see how different they are than, than what i remember growing up you know when i remember if we're talking about family gatherings that usually happened up in columbia so when we would go up to columbia we would uh, get up there, and my cousin Heather would be there. My cousin Ashley would be there. Christopher, my cousin Rick, uh, myself, Kevin, um, Bruce would sometimes be there, sometimes not. He was he was the older of the bunch, so he didn't always go to these gatherings with us. But most times he did, and usually, you know, if we were all there, it was usually like a Christmas or a Thanksgiving or um, you know some kind of bigger uh, holiday and gathering. But it was one of those things where, as far as my grandfather was concerned, children were meant to be seen and not heard. So we were always being shuttled or shoved or pushed out of the way of my grandfather. You know, don't get in front of the TV. Don't get, uh, don't mess with him in the recliner. Don't sit in his chair. Um, be quiet. Keep the noise down. Uh, take the toys somewhere else. Go to another room. Go outside and play. Whatever. You didn't want to mess with my grandfather. He, he was not really a stern guy. I mean, he wasn't like a disciplinarian. He wasn't yelling at you or whatever. Occasionally, but you just you didn't get in his way. I mean, he was um, he was doing his thing. You women take care of the kids. Keep them out of my way. That was basically it. So. We'd have gatherings, and you know, I remember going up there. They had uh, my uncle Frederick used to live in, uh, used to stay in the back back bedroom, um, but that become, it kind of became the playroom, or at least the storage room for the play things. Um, I remember going up there, and you'd go up there, and the first thing you did was you had headed to the back room, and you went either underneath the bed or into the closet to try and find all the toys. And they had some great toys up there. My grandparents. My grandmother um, just kind of collected and, and kept every toy um, from every child that she had and just kept passing it on. So we'd go up there and just play with all these great toys. Sometimes we'd play in the back room. Sometimes we'd bring them out to the living room if my grandfather allowed it. And you know he would tolerate it for a little bit, and then you had to move on, go somewhere else. But So good times, just different times. But, you know, you go back to the party at my parents' house yesterday and you could do whatever you wanted to. I mean, these people, these kids were running around, they were screaming, they were having a good time, they were making tons of noise, they were dancing, they were singing, and nobody cared. Nobody bothered them, nobody told them to settle down. Every now and then you'd get, you know, a don't run in the house type thing, which I don't even understand that. I mean, I've heard that my entire life. Every house I've been in, whether it was me or whether it was my kids or now whether it's the, the grandkids, uh, you know, don't run in the house, don't run in the house, don't run in the house. What is the big deal about running in the house? Because all you say, all you do is you say stop running or don't run, and then you just got this super fast walk. And I don't understand what the big difference is between that and between a little bit of running. I think, I think kids can run and not uh, run into anything, but it's always been a thing. I don't know why. What is the big deal about running in the house? So, 
what was my point? I always get into these big thoughts and I, I lose and I get off on tangents and I kind of go down different roads and then I lose what the main point is. I guess the point is it's just good to hang out with family, you know. Um, it's good. I remember growing up, we used to have uh, big family reunions at my Aunt Maud's house. And I think, I don't know what you call them. There's so many weird names. It's like, you know, is she my great aunt? Because she's my grandmother's sister. So that makes her my great aunt, correct? I don't know. Email me, send me a message, let me know if that's correct. But I think that's correct. I have to ask my mom. She knows all those things, you know, cousins and first cousins, second cousins, third cousins, cousins once removed. It's, oh, I can't keep up with it all. And I don't want to keep up with it. I could care less, to be honest. But I think she's a great aunt. But we used to go over there to my Aunt Maud's house and have family gatherings like once a year. I remember doing it maybe five times or so. You know, it wasn't every year of my life growing up, but um, it was enough to, to make it memorable. And uh, a lot of acreage out there, you know, we'd have 30 or 50 people that would show up, people you'd never even met before sometimes, or people you'd met, you know, just a, a year prior. Uh, it was just nice to meet new people and hang out and do different things. There were some horses out there. We'd ride uh, go-karts around. They had a, a nice little track that you could ride go-karts around, and we just had a good time with that. And you got to meet new people and just hang out with new people and have new experiences. And I loved it. I had a great time doing that. I wish we still did those types of things, but um, we don't. And I don't know why. I, I, I guess we could put that back together, but... It seems like, you know, every time I would go over, when I was a kid growing up, and I'd go to my grandparents' house out in Columbia, we'd hang out. And it seemed like all the guys always hung out in the living room watching sports, you know, golf or the, the latest uh, college football game or NFL, uh, baseball, I mean, pick your sport, whatever. All the guys would be there. Well, I would always go and hang out with the women for whatever reason, Um I just thought they were more interesting. They had more interesting conversations. They were laughing. They were maybe knitting, cross-stitching. They were cooking something, eating something. They'd always be gathered around the kitchen table there at my grandmother's house. Uh, she was always she always had something on the stove. I'll take a little slip here. She always had something going on the stove. I mean, anytime you walked into my grandparents' house, my grandmother's house, Either one of them, really, but mainly uh, my grandmother Dale's. She always wanted to cook you something. Anytime you came in, are you hungry? Did you eat something today? Do you want something to eat? you want me to fix you something? It was just, I mean, you don't get that anymore. At least I don't see it, you know, when I go anywhere. But she was always wanting to feed you for whatever reason. And I think that was just a, a grandmother thing. Uh, my mom does it to, to a certain extent. But nothing like my grandmother did. I mean, anytime you walked in, she wanted to put something in your mouth. To feed you. So it was kind of interesting. Um, <clears throat> she always had Cool Whip for me in the freezer. She would, I don't know how we got onto it, how that became a thing, but every time I'd go over there, she would have a, a, a tub, a Tupperware, whatever, you know, the plastic container that Cool Whip comes in. She would have that in the freezer, frozen for me, and would take it out, and I would just eat it like ice cream. And I thought it was the best thing ever. I thought it was the, the the most, uh, the best treat, you know, to go over to grandma's house and, and eat my Cool Whip. And I don't think she did that for everybody. I think I was her favorite uh, grandchild, grandchild, to be honest. But I can't prove that. But it's just a feeling <laughs> that I was her favorite. And um, I would go over to my grandma Shelton's house and she'd always feed me um, moon pies. Moon pies were the big thing over there. I could go into her... Um, her little, not pantry area, it was like a utility room area, you know, a couple sliding accordion doors and the washer and dryer was in there, whatever, so utility stuff. But she always had a box of moon pies. If you went over there, you knew you were going to get a moon pie. And I loved it. Moon pies were great. The Cool Whip up in Columbia was fantastic. It's just good to hang out with family, you know. Um... All my grandparents are gone now. I was lucky enough to get to know my great-grandmothers -grand as well. Um, 
you know, I would go up to Columbia and stay there a couple weeks at a time sometimes during the summer. My, my mom and dad would just drop me off, and I would stay there. And then she would pawn me off onto my great-grandmother, Stork, and I'd stay a night or two over at her house, which was kind of creepy a little bit. Not She wasn't creepy, but the house was kind of creepy. It was just her that lived there. It was kind of an old house, had, a, had an old smell to it, um, very sterile, very clean, not a lot going on. You know, it wasn't like my grandmother Dale's house where she had all these games and board games and toys and all this kind of stuff. It was just, there wasn't a whole lot to do, I guess, is what, but it was real quiet and uh, echoey in that house. I don't know. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed my time with my great-grandmother. We would sit in the kitchen. We would sit at the table, and just her and I would sit there and have conversations, and it was fantastic. But at nighttime, it just got kind of creepy. Uh, when the darkness set in, <laughs> and you start hearing just some noises in the in the house, um, I think there was a TV in the room that she would put me in, and I would watch a little bit of TV maybe, but there just wasn't a whole lot going on. She had this giant thing. I mean, it was like a a big chest but it was a it was a record player you know with built-in speakers and all this kind of stuff and she would play records for me um very cool times i enjoyed the memories immensely but it was just kind of a creepy house but but i feel very lucky that i at least got to know my my great grandparents grandmothers um what else it's good to hang out with family you know that's all I'm saying. And I enjoy it. And I enjoyed yesterday. Had a good time at the birthday party. I think everybody else had a good time. Uh, got to see everybody. We uh, we had some barbecue, some macaroni and cheese. I'm not going to everything. We had a good time. So it's good to hang out with family. But it's just a different time, you know. You know Bill Cosby has a bit. Um about, you know, he watches his parents with his kids, and he's like, these are not the parents, these are not the people I grew up with. They're not the same people. And that's kind of how I feel when I go over to to parties like this and I see how my parents interact um, with the kids. My mom's pretty much the same. But, um, you know, my dad, my dad wasn't there a whole lot when I was growing up, you know. He was working. He was working 12, 13, 15 hour shifts uh, trying to support his his family, trying to get to uh, get the work done. And that's what that's what that's what the men did. You know, they provided they they worked hard and sometimes they worked two and three jobs just to try and support a family. And, and the mom sat home and uh, made sure everything else was taken care of, made sure the kids were taken care of, made sure that, uh, you know, I had breakfast before I went to school in the morning, made sure I had all my stuff that I needed to go to school, made sure I got to school. Made sure I had lunch, you know, a lunchbox with some food in it to for my lunch at school. Or made sure I had money if I was going to buy my lunch. Made sure I got home from school. When I got home from school, made sure I did, did my homework before I did anything else and went out and played. Made sure, you know, when I went out and played that uh, I, I knew that I needed to be back to the house uh, when the streetlights came on. Or if I heard her call me like Tarzan across the neighborhood. Uh, I needed to get home because we were going to have dinner on the table at 5 o'clock when my dad got home. Um, Or 6, whatever the time may be. But um, she was the provider. She took care of the kids. My dad took care of the money and the job and provided the, paid the mortgage and did all this other kind of stuff. Um, I didn't see a lot of my dad growing up. I'll be honest. I, I don't remember a lot of interaction with my father. And... I'm glad that's changed. I mean, we've got a great relationship now. We're, we're, we're good friends. And I think he regrets some of that. I think he regrets that he put all his time into to work and, and didn't spend as much time with us um, as he should have. Uh, I think he sees the relationship that I have with my kids. I think he sees the relationship that my brothers and I have, and I, I think he wishes that he would have spent more time with us and done more things with us and had more experiences with us, and I think he's trying to to rush and, and have more of those experiences, you know, as he gets older, and I love it, and, and I think he, you know, he loves spending time with his grandchildren and 
making sure that, that he's a part of their lives because his father was not really that big of a part of our lives. And I, and I think generally, general, general, generationally, that's what happens. I, you know, we're getting more compassionate, we're getting more loving, we're getting more societal, we're getting more together and doing these things. There's no, no longer a separation and, and, the, and the, the father doesn't have that much interaction with the child. Um, we're, we're coming together more as a society and that's, that's continued to evolve and happen over time. And we're getting better at it. We're getting better at loving each other and as families and as society and everything else, I think, uh, I think we're, we're warming up and we're getting better at, um, at loving each other. So that's a good thing. But all I'm saying is it's, it's good to hang out with family. Right. Moving on, moving on. I was coming home from work Saturday night. You know, I, I've mentioned a couple of times I've got this 1983 Toyota Supra. It's given me some trouble uh, here recently. It was a fantastic car for many, many, many years. Never gave me a hiccup at all. Um, you know, of, of course, replaced parts here and there. I mean, it's an old car. It's in a classic car. It's 35 years old or whatever it is now. So yeah, there's going to be some some things that you got to replace. Uh, some maintenance that you have to do, but I had a problem with it uh, not starting consistently. So it was we figured out it was either electrical or fuel related. So I parked it over at my parents' house. My dad um, said he would take care of it and try and diagnose it, um, see if he could figure out what's wrong with it. So he and the next door neighbor Ken is sat over there for about two months and they uh, ran some tests on it, did this, 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 this. Figured out it was probably the fuel pump, so they replaced the fuel pump in it, and I've had it back um, two, or three, two or three weeks now. And I was driving home Saturday night from work at Homegrown about 12.30 at night. Get up to the stoplight about, about halfway home at this point. Get to the stoplight. I depressed the clutch. <clears throat> when I let the clutch back out to move through the stoplight, it only came up about halfway of what it normally comes up. So I'm like, what, uh, what's going on here? I've had a leak in my clutch re reservoir, you know, uh, I don't know, for a good two years now. And you just got to keep an eye on it. You pop the hood every now and then, just check the fluids, make sure it's that the clutch fluid is topped off. <clears throat> as long as it is, it works perfectly. If it gets a little low, you can start feeling a little bit of a, um, a little bit of a hitch when you try and put... Uh, the car in gear, you can feel it kind of not go in nice and smooth. So that, that lets me know that uh, the clutch fluid is a little bit low. So anyway, I thought maybe the clutch fluid had gotten low again. So I um, pulled over to a gas station and I, I left it running. I put the emergency brake on, put it in neutral, popped the hood, looked at the fluid. Fluid was good, which surprised me. I figured it was going to be about half low or half full. And it wasn't. It was all the way full, so I'm like, oh, crap, something else has got to be wrong. So I get back in the car, and I said, well, maybe I just got some air in the line or something, and I just need to kind of pump the fluid, get the hydraulics through there, uh, get it to tighten back up. Well, I pumped the clutch um, eight to ten times or whatever. By the time I get finished, the clutch is now, the pedal is all the way to the floor. It's like stuck to the floorboard. It doesn't even pop back up at all, not even a millimeter. It's stuck. It's done. It's on the floor. Um, I take the gear shift, I try and put it in a couple gears, just grind, 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 doesn't do anything, doesn't go into a gear, something like crap. I can't, I can't even get home now. The clutch is out, so it's either got to be the master or the slave cylinder, but, so I decided, you know, it's late at night, I'm not going to call anybody, and I didn't want to get an Uber either and spend any money, so I said, I'm just going to walk home. It's, it's like a two mile, maybe 2.2 or three miles back to the house. Sorry, I take a little drink. Um, it's good beer, by the way. I'm not a, really a big fan of um, Southern Barrel, but this is good. This is good. I like it. So I'm walking home, about a two mile walk, and I walk by Applebee's, and I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of hungry. Why don't I stop in there? I stopped in there, I got me a burger, 
And um, then I left, started walking again. I get down, <clears throat> I get into my neighborhood. And when I get into my neighborhood, I go up and I take a right and I go around this corner. I take another right. And I'm on the street right before I turn onto my street. I get up to the corner where I'm getting ready to turn left onto my street. There's two houses before my house there on the, on the right. Right at the corner in the street, I see these deer start coming across the street and start going down the street. I count them as they, as they go by. There's five deer. Just going down the street in the middle of the night. It's almost a full moon. I think the full moon was like the day before. I don't know if it was the full moon that night. <clears throat> but it's bright. I can see very well. And um, it's a clear night. These five deer just all of a sudden cross in front of me. They go through. They're, they're on the street. Then they cut up into the yard of the house on the corner there. They go across the yard. They go across the next yard. Now they're in my yard. I've already turned the corner onto my street. Now they're in my yard. All five of them stop in my front yard. I don't know why they stopped there. I don't know. I don't even know why they were there in the first place. But five deer just show up out of nowhere during an almost full moon, and then they stop in my front yard and just sit there. I continue walking. I haven't slowed my pace at all. I walk up, I get about probably five feet from my driveway, and then they depart my front yard. They go across the street, they go into another yard, and then they disappear. I don't see them anymore. I'm like, what in the world is going on with these deer? I've been back in South Carolina for probably, when did I get back? I got, got here in May of 2014. I've maybe seen three deer. In the time I've been back here, it's now what, July 2018? I've maybe seen three deer crossing the street or whatever, <clears throat> you know, on a, on a major highway, not through a, not through my damn neighborhood. I got five deer in my neighborhood that stop literally in my front yard as I'm walking home as my car breaks down. It's just very weird. I don't know what it means, but... I did look up some stuff, so let me read some stuff to you here. <clears throat> so this is one thing I read. So in Buddhism, the deer symbolizes harmony, happiness, peace, and longevity. When a male and a female deer are represented together, often besides the Dharma wheel, it is a direct allusion to the first teachings of Buddha near Varanasi. And one of this former lives, Buddha was a golden deer that spoke to men. According to that tradition, deers are by nature timid and serene animals, and their presence in a place represents the purity of a kingdom bereft of fear. There are also Tibetan legends in which deer help men to solve problems. Alright? Interesting. Correct? You know. Deer? Is, is that deer helping me solve a problem? What's going on? It's five of them in my yard. Almost a full moon. The deer, which is related to many traditions with kindness, softness, and gentleness, is, in one way or another, an animal that is connected to the gods and the sacred. One of the reasons for this could be its physical characteristics, its stare, its agility, its speed, and its antlers, which inspire those values and symbols in the imagination of humans and in its metaphorical nature. More? <clears throat> The meanings associated with the deer combine soft, both soft, gentle qualities with strength and determination. Gentleness, ability to move through life and obstacles with grace, being in touch with inner child, innocence, being sensitive and intuitive, vigilance, ability to change directions quickly, magical ability to regenerate, being in touch with life's mysteries. You have the knowledge of how to use the power of gentleness to touch the hearts and minds of the wounded beings in your life. You have a propensity to see new innocence and freshness and life everywhere, and you constantly feel the lure of new adventures. Often you have a link to the arts, especially poetry and music. You are also a keen observer, able to see well in low light. You are also very compassionate, gentle, 
and loving person. So that's some of the stuff that I found on deer or the symbolism of a deer or seeing a deer. So what does that mean? How do I take that? Car breaks down. You know, I've had a, a couple emotional breakdowns here in the past uh, week or so. Almost a full moon. I'm having, you know, a little bit of turmoil in the night, obviously. I'm walking. Five deer show up, show themselves, present themselves, go into my yard, and then stop. They're traveling. They've traveled across other yards. They didn't stop in their yards. They stop in my yard. Five of them. On almost a full moon. Did I say that? I don't know. It's just very strange. I've been trying to process it for the past uh, couple days. And it's just... Um, it's very weird. It's very weird. That's all I'm saying. <clears throat> Oh, what else can we talk about here, guys? Let's see what we got going on here. Yeah, about 30, uh, 36 minutes in. I know you guys love it when I tell you how far far along we are, because you already know. You're looking at it. I left um, left work today, and I decided to go up. You know, a lot of times I'll go to Kickin' Chicken. It's just right down the road. I like the bartenders down there. I like the people. It's pretty good. Uh, pretty good vibe. That's where I ran into the uh, the guy that didn't like the keto the keto diet and thought his muscles were wasting away. Um, you know, thought he was eating his own muscles for some reason. I don't know, but I like it up there. It's a good place to people watch. I didn't really see anything exciting today, but it just seems like no matter where I try to hide, like you know. I'll go up to uh, to Bigby Coffee, or I'll go to Coastal Coffee Roasters, or I'll go to Kickin' Chicken. Excuse me. Or I would uh, go to Swiggin' Swine before they close down. Just places. Um, sometimes I'll carry my laptop with me. Sometimes I just carry my phone. But 100% of the time, I've got headphones, either my corded headphones or my wireless headphone. And normally I'm listening to, I don't know, something that's inspirational. I'm listening to some music or I'm listening to a podcast or I'm listening to something educational that I'm trying to learn something about. But I'm usually always listening to something. I'm always educating myself in some way, shape, or form, whether it's uh, stuff about the keto diet or whether it's stuff about podcasting or whether it's stuff about uh, martial arts, um, like I said, music, music videos, whatever. I'm always doing something, and usually I'm usually I'm going some those places to to get some work done, or I'm just trying to get away and just and just kind of escape. And just I usually just want to be by myself. I usually just want to relax and just kind of engulf myself in, in knowledge and and just get away from the hustle and bustle of uh, of a job and having to entertain and talk to people or whatever and just kind of be on all the time. Sometimes I like to be off. I like to just turn off. But it seems like no matter where I try to hide, I mean, I could have 10 headphones and earbuds coming out of every orifice. I could have a book in front of me. I could have YouTube on my phone and, and be you know physically looking at it and you could tell I'm watching something or I could have my computer there. And people always have to come up and try and talk to me. I don't know what it is, why I seem so approachable, but no matter where I go, somebody, and I mean, it's fine. It's just, it's society, somebody trying to just interact with another human and trying to be nice and trying to be kind and trying to just um, have a conversation, and that's good. But, you know, I have conversations for a living. I mean, I'm always talking to people. <laughs> Sometimes I just don't want to talk to anybody. And it seems like no matter where I go, no matter where I go, I can be making it as obvious as I possible, possibly can that I 
really just want to be by myself. Somebody has to come up and talk to me. And I engage with them. I, I'm not rude. I don't say, look, I'm, I'm, I don't want to talk to you. I'm trying to do something else. I, I interact with them. Um, but I just, I just think it's, I don't know. I have, it's, I don't know if it's some kind of attraction that I have or some kind of energy that I put out or what. But I, I feel like I look like I'm the most unapproachable guy ever when I go out somewhere. But somehow people, somebody always approaches me. Always. Always. Every time. No matter where I go. It's kind of like when I go, when I go um, somewhere in my car, any of my cars, because I, I try and keep my cars nice. I think I take good care of them. And most of them are in pretty good shape. <clears throat> anyone that I've had. But whenever I try, whenever I go somewhere, I try and park as far away from people as I can. And no matter how far away I park from the grocery store or, I don't know, wherever I go. The movie theater, I try and park all by myself in a lonely spot out in the the desert of the parking lot. When I come back from whatever I was doing, whether it was going in the grocery store or seeing a movie or whatever, I come back out, somebody is parked right beside me. No matter where I go, where I park, how far away I park, somebody will be parked right beside me. And that's the whole point of me going out to the desert of the parking lot is because I don't want somebody parking next to me and swinging the door open and putting a door ding on my car or sliding across it with a zipper or their book bag or their purse sliding across it and putting a scratch on it. I try and park away from other people on purpose. And it seems like somebody tries to park next to me on purpose. It's like they do it on purpose. They have to, right? There's no way that every time I go and park in a parking lot all by myself, 20 cars away from any other car, that I come out and somebody is parked right next to me. Some They have to be doing it on purpose. They have to be. And I don't know what that purpose would be. I don't know what. I don't know. I don't know what that purpose would be. But anyway. Um, you know, speaking about cars, I mentioned something, I think it was during the, uh, the Awakening episode, you know, when I got all serious and stuff, but I think I'd mentioned something about cars and I said, I'll come back to it. And I never came back to it. I got way off on all kind of other stuff on that episode and I never came back to it, but I wrote a story about it in uh, my book. It's all fun and games until, which you can find on lulu.com by the way, uh, lulu.com slash spotlight slash Dale's Inc. And one of the chapters in there talked about, uh, I know what it was during the awakening episode. I talked about, um, how my ex-wife and I had actually filed for divorce and bankruptcy at the same time uh, when we were stationed down there in Valdosta, Georgia back in, I want to say it was 1996, somewhere around there. So we'd been married like four years. And um, we applied for divorce and bankruptcy all at the same time. We did not get divorced, but we actually did go through with the bankruptcy. And I don't know, I just thought I'd bring that back up since we were talking about cars my 83 Supra giving me trouble and uh, about parking cars away and all this stuff. But <clears throat> So I wrote a story in there, not specifically about bankruptcy. I mean, it was more, every story in that book is more about uh, the relationship and, and just kind of how everything kind of um, intertwined into this relationship. But the um, the overwhelming theme of that chapter was how... I could not manage money and how you know money is probably the number one stressor on a relationship on a marriage on a whatever a relationship so that whole story that whole chapter goes into the story of how I was just kind of I was causing the stress I was causing the stress of spending money I was spending it like it was going out of style and I bought a lot of vehicles. I uh, we came into the marriage with one car. I had a had an Isuzu pickup truck, um, 1986 Isuzu pickup truck, gasoline engine, 
when I when we got married, we decided we need another car. We got a um, a 1989 Volkswagen Golf, 89 Golf. So we had an 86 uh, pickup truck and 89 Golf. I'm not going to go through all the cars, guys, but let's just say we're trying to add it up here. I had that. I had those two. A couple Hondas. Had a couple passports. I had another truck. Had a. Uh, a Nissan, that had another Nissan, and the Zuzu. I want to say 11 cars. So within between 1992 and 1996, four years, I think we had 10 or 11 cars that I went through. I would get a car, I wouldn't be satisfied with it, I'd want something newer, something better, something different, something faster, whatever, uh, more bells and whistles, and I would trade it in for another car, and then I would not like that car anymore, and I'd trade it in for another car, and I kept just trading and trading and trading and trading and trading, and of course, you know what happens, I mean, you know, as soon as you buy that car, it depreciates, and then you go and trade that car, you're not going to get the... <clears throat> The value out of it out of a trade that you would out of a sale so i just kept getting less and less value of every car that i got and then finally got into a car that had way more of a car payment than we could ever afford as um you know two i think we were e4s at the time two senior airmen's at the time with the uh, two kids come on in a mortgage and i just kept buying and buying cars and i got us into a to a car that was way overhead, and then I tried to remedy that problem by getting rid of it and going back to something different, and I got a, or got ourselves upside down as far as money goes. And that's not even that's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, that, that, that doesn't uh, count the uh, countless credit cards and personal loans and all this other kind of stuff that we would get just to buy more things. Um, hence the reason I'm trying to get to this minimalism thing because things are not good they can be good but they're usually not good so anyway had 10 or 11 cars over the course of four years loans computers $1,200 vacuum cleaners that uh, you know sold to us by a door-to-door salesman just stupid stuff money causes problems in a relationship you got to manage that money and I did not manage it I didn't manage it so well that I had to that we had to file bankruptcy and it ended up affecting us for the next seven to ten years. So just be satisfied, man. Just I guess the takeaway I would take away from that if I if you were gonna take away anything uh, that I say from this podcast is don't try and keep up with the Joneses, man. Don't try and keep up with anybody. Buy buy a car and ride it till the wheels come off, man. You don't need the next big thing. You don't need the next big uh, TV, you don't need the next big cell phone. Just keep what you got, man. We are consumer-based. We try too many times to try and keep up with the times when what we have is working perfectly well and it serves the purpose perfectly well. The next big thing is not going to make any difference whatsoever and, and it's not going to make your life any better it's not going to perform any better, at least not in any way that you're going to really recognize or pay attention to. So just keep the stuff you got. Quit trying to upgrade. We're all about the upgrade at this point in this uh, current generation. So I don't know. I don't want to be preachy, but <sighs> that's my story. I had a lot of veterans at the bar tonight. Um, it was a little slow for the first couple hours, and then all of a sudden, these uh, the whole bar kind of kind of lit up. Had a couple, um, had a one section of three people that came in. A guy and his wife and his sister came in. They came in from out of town. They were from uh, Sumter, South Carolina. Had another couple sit down, kind of in the middle of the bar. They're stationed here at Charleston Air Force Base. They're in the Air Force. They're from. Um, Massachusetts, I think, somewhere up in the north. 
And then I had another guy come in that sat kind of all by himself at the, at the end of the bar, and he was a retired Air Force guy. So I had a lot of veterans in there. The, the first couple, the, the three that I talked about, that guy is a, he was a pharmacy technician originally in the Air Force, and then he got out of the Air Force, went back to school, and joined the Army. He's now a, he's now a, a helicopter pilot. He's been in 24 years getting ready to retire in the next two years and they're trying to they're just kind of out shopping around some locations and somebody had told him about Somerville and they decided to come into Somerville and just kind of check it out so they were at the bar um, was doing a lot of talking to them and then we found out the guys in the middle were, were Air Force active duty and then we found out the guy on the other end was uh, retired so we all had a lot of a lot of stuff to talk about it was kind of interesting to get a bunch of different perspectives of uh, you know, a couple of retired, retired guys like me and the guy on the end and somebody that's getting ready to retire but also is in a different branch of the service and then the young guy in the middle that's only been in the Air Force for five years now and is about to get out, he's not going to retire. Um, all kind of different jobs. You know, one was uh, a couple of us were enlisted or three of us were enlisted. Uh, one of us or one of them was an officer um, you got different branches of service, so a lot of just different talk going on. It was very interesting. I had a good time with it, and that's really why I enjoy doing what I do, and and why I gave up um, the corporate world because you know I didn't have those conversations. All the conversations that I had in the corporate world were fake conversations. They were just bullshit conversations that were all about the bottom line. They were all about the fucking dollar. They were all about the business. They Nobody had real conversations at, at that place that I was at, you know, as a contractor. It was all business-related conversations. You didn't have just bullshit conversations. So for me to, to go out to these breweries and to be at the coffee shop and whatever, you have real conversations with people. You talk to people. You, you find out about their lives. You find out about what they they do you find out about what their interests are what they like to do in their spare time it's just genuine conversations and i enjoy that and that's i'm so glad that i left the corporate world and i'm out just having a good time and enjoying myself and um embracing life and different people and different cultures and just having conversations and just talking to people, man, and just being real and hopefully helping people a little bit with uh, with some of the stuff that uh, that we have conversations about. You know, we talked a lot of tonight about somehow we got into the to the topic topic of running. I don't remember how we got into it. Well, I know how it was because Fleet Feet uh, Sports they have a shop right around the corner, and every Monday night they do um, they do a run. And these people run, you know, pretty much right in front of Homegrown Brew House. They run down the street. It's usually a th- somewhere from a three to a five mile run, the route that they'll do, whatever. So a couple of the runners came in um, after the run to get a drink. And somehow, because of that, we got started talking about running. And um, we got started talking about uh, uh, a lot of stuff that I've done, marathons, ultra marathons. Uh, started talking about Spartan races, you know, of course the Army guy was talking about all the running that he does within the Army, and we started talking about basic training and how, you know, in basic training you had to work up to running a mile and a half, and we were both talking about how when we first joined the military that just running a half, you know, they start you off at a half a mile run when you're starting off in basic training, and just that half a mile, man, kicked our ass. And, you know, we were in good shape. I mean, I was you know, 155 pounds, I think, when I joined the Air Force and had been in the the martial arts since I was 15 and I played soccer and I played baseball and I consider myself in good shape. But to get in there and run this mile, and a, to run this half mile and the amount of time that they wanted you to run it in and doing, you know, it's five o'clock in the morning and you're doing push-ups, you're doing calisthenics, you're doing sit-ups, you're doing uh, this half mile run uh, plus, you got the pressure of just being in basic training, but um, it was not fun. I had a hard time running a half a mile, and then I eventually worked worked up to a to a mile and a half. Um, but then I was talking, you know, to this army guy about yeah, now you know, eventually it took many many years later for me to 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 find a love of running. But uh, next thing you know, I'm running 26.2 miles and and 50 miles and 31 milers and 
triathlons and I, I found a love for running and um, he was just saying he didn't think he could you know he, he can go out if he somebody puts his feet to the fire he can go out and run a, a seven or eight miles with no problem but he thinks uh, 10 miles is his limit and you know I was telling him there are no limits the only limits we have are the ones that we put on ourselves you know um, I told him I used to have this uh, mantra and thing that I told people was running is 90% mental and the rest of it's in your head. So pretty much it's all in your head. I mean, your body can do whatever you want it to do. It's your mind that's the limitation. Usually you're at about 40% when you think you've had enough of what your body can do. You've got about 60% more that you can do. And that brings me to another point. You know, one of my inspirations <clears throat> is um, David Goggins. I don't know if you've heard of this guy. He's an ultramarathoner. Uh, he's a Navy SEAL. Or he's retired now. He just retired a few years ago. But um, ex-Navy SEAL um, was a fat guy for a long time, and then he, he joined the military, and he, he went into SEAL training. He went through Hell Week three different times. Um very inspirational guy. When I started getting into running big time, I, I came across this guy. I can't even remember how I found him, but I was fo I followed a lot of uh, ultra runners, and he was one of the biggest ones and one of the badass, uh, most badass out of all of them. But I think um, some friends of his had died in the in the war, <clears throat> in the Gulf War, and he wanted to find some way to honor them and to raise money for their families and to start a um, a grant or a tuition assistance program of some sort where he raised money and he was able to give money to the families of the fallen that they could use to go to college, something like that. I can't remember the entire story, but check him out. Uh, David Goggins, um, it's G-O-G-G-I-N-S, David Goggins. Um, check out his story. I think you like him. Check him out on YouTube. He's got a Facebook page. Every Monday, um, right now, he puts out a new post. He had a he had a heart problem. He was doing all this ultra running and didn't realize he had a hole in his heart. And uh, he ended up having some surgery a few years back and was kind of down for a little while. But he's kind of back. Um, he um, held the world record in push-ups in a 24-hour period, I think. Like 3,000, not push-ups, pull-ups. 3,000 or something. I don't know. You can check them all out. Just check in... Uh, Google David Goggins, world record, uh, David Goggins, Navy SEAL, David Goggins, ultra runner. You'll find all kind of information in YouTube videos and stuff on him. But his Facebook page, every Monday he does an inspirational post. And he usually supplies a video with that where he's doing some kind of hard shit. You know, like one, um, for instance, he had where he did a, a one mile one mile of tire flips. So he did this tire, he went a half mile out and then a half mile back, just flipping this tire for one mile. Pretty badass. But he posted something today and I'm just gonna read it for you. <clears throat> he says, uh, don't live in your past accomplishments. That shit is over. Yes, be proud of what you did, but don't let it stop you from relentlessly attacking today. Don't have the, I used to be mindset. Yes, we all get older and there are things that start getting in the way, but don't become complacent. There's more to do. If you were 190 pounds of cuts when you were 25 years old, at 45, your goal should be 185 pounds and in better shape. If you can't get there, work for it anyway. That kind of mentality will keep you grinding, trying to find more. It's not just about working it out. It's every aspect of your fucking life. When you're 60... Your goal should be to kick the 30-year-old's asses. Give them something to shoot for. It works for all ages. Educate the generation under yours by kicking their ass in everything you do. Continue to compete against yourself until the end. Don't let that weak-ass voice saying, you've done enough, win. Continue to put shit in front of you that you have to conquer. What have you done today? I'll leave you with that guys I'll talk to you soon